prophetic. I, I, I meant it to be prophetic, and I, and I said that God is calling us to South Africa. And I said the reason God's calling us to South Africa is because what we learn on the mission field is essential to bring home for us to be ready for what God wants to do in the city of Detroit. I'm going to republish that letter so that you see that God had this as a destiny for us as a church, that we're to be integral to bring revival and to bring the, the power of God's Spirit into this community and the surrounding areas. And we've been working on that. God's been working on that in our lives as a church for these 20 years. And so this isn't just a fly-by-night thing that just happened. It's been something we've been laboring in the fields for. And last night, as we were praying for Lou Engel in that conference room, I had an immediate vision and flash of a bush that was on fire. And God spoke this into my heart. He said, the bush is burning. The bush is burning. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. The bush is burning. What God has decided to do is to take a dried up, charred tree that's sitting on the side of a mountain and God is going to consume that thing and set it ablaze. And it's going to draw attention to those who pass by. And it's not going to consume the tree, it's going to live in the tree. It's going to inhabit its branches. And I believe, brothers and sisters, Detroit is the bush that is burning. God said it's already burning. It started burning. Detroit is the bush that is going to call all the prophets and all the people of God to turn to the bush and recognize that God is speaking once again to this nation. I believe it's going to start here in Detroit. And so I want to tell you the bush is burning. The bush is already burning. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3 as we pay attention to this story. Exodus chapter 3. We know this to be the call of Moses. We know that this is the turning point for Israel. And as we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 3, we see a bush that's burning that is going to be the emblem and mark out the plan for Israel. It's no small thing that Moses stood before a burning bush on Mount Sinai. It's no small thing. Mount Horeb, uh, you'll read in your Bible, it's either Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Those are the same mountains. Just two different names for the same place. And so he's standing on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb called the Mount of God. And he's standing there, and what is so spectacular about this burning bush is Moses got there first. Then he's got to go get his people and come back to that bush once again. Let's unfold the story and see what God wants to do. And I believe that, brothers and sisters, how many of you believe in destiny? Anybody believe in destiny, providence, God's providence, God's destiny? You believe in the prophetic that God calls and purposes? How many of you believe that there's a destiny over your life? A purpose? Do you have a purpose? Anybody have a purpose here? All right. Those of you who don't know that, you do have a destiny. You do have a purpose. God says, I know the plans I've made for you, right? Jeremiah 29, 11, right? To prosper you, bless you, hope in a future. 
You have a destiny, brothers and sisters. Each one of you has a destiny and a purpose. And if you're not believing in a destiny and a purpose, you're standing still or you're wandering. Israel had a destination. They had a destiny and purpose. Moses saw it. Moses had opportunity to see it. All of Israel didn't see it, but Moses saw it. That's what made him stick with those people for 40 years. That's what made him put up with their grumbling and their complaining. God showed him the finish line. Let me prove it to you. And I believe that's what's going to happen to this nation. The bush is already burning. What you're going to see in Detroit, I believe we're going to see that that's what God wants to do in the United States. But we're going to have to believe for it. We're going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to walk towards it. But get your eyes into the spirit realm and know that the bush is already burning. It's already burning. Something's happening. It's already burning. Let's look at our text, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. It wasn't even his flock. You getting this? Why wasn't it Moses' flock? Because God had another flock waiting for the man. He had to tend his father-in-law's sheep. This man, he's, he's well past 40 years old. He, 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 he doesn't have anything of his own. He lost it all. But you remember the book of Hebrews, it says he gave it all up to be identified as a son of Abraham. He was a son of Pharaoh, but he esteemed Messiah or Christ greater than the things of Egypt. Schooled in Egypt, educated in Egypt. He knew the ways of the court. He understood law. He understood Hammurabi's code. He understood the Assyrians. He knew the law courts of all the world round about him. He understood economics. He understood government. Why do you think God called him to write the law, the legal treatise for God? Because he grew up studying law codes, studying the economics of the world. He understood how to rule a nation. God trained him in school in Egypt. And he forsook that school and he went out into the desert to get prepared for his flock. So he's tending Jethro's flock right now. Part-time work. Compared to what he had to go through. <laughs> Jethro, the father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Some of you are sick of being on the far side of the desert, but you don't realize that's the place you're going to meet God. God had to get you way far away where no one else is talking to you. No one else is putting something in your ear. You're not having the, the becoming lukewarm to the surroundings of your comfort zone. you got to go out into the wilderness because that's where you're going to meet the mountain of God, the high place of God. Most of us don't get there when we're at ease, when we're at rest, and when all is good. We're self-secured, self-sufficient. God said he's on the far side. And I love this. He went to the far side. Something drew him. Something drew him that week in those days as he's walking in the wilderness, going a little farther each time, going a little further out from Jethro's uh, pastures. And he's trying in new territory. And he's walking further and further. And as he's walking, he sees Mount Horeb. He sees the mountain of God. And it says this in verse 2, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought what? 
I'm going to go over and see this strange sight and why the bush does not burn up. So he's tending a flock. He's doing his thing. He's watching these ship. He's, he's just trying to step a little further out. He's testing the waters to something new. And he sees something glowing, something burning in the distance. It's strange to him. It's unusual to him. You see, you want God to move. It's going to be strange. It's going to be unusual to us. We're all looking for something we recognize. But I want to tell you, you're going to walk right by what you recognize. A sign is something you don't normally see every day. Amen? Bring this down just a little because I know I'm going to get loud in a few minutes. So he saw something unusual, brothers and sisters. Now why are we all looking for the move of God that happened 10 years ago? Why are you looking for the move of God to look like it did at Azusa Street? Why are you looking for something from God the way it did from uh, the day of Pentecost? Why are you looking for something from God to, to, to what happened 10 years ago when you got saved and you had that feeling? Why are you looking for what they do on TV as they're showing you revival tapes from Africa or somewhere else? What are you looking for the same thing for? He saw something strange, something completely different. That's why he turned. And the world's used to Detroit being an armpit. The world's used to Detroit being a dump. The world's used to Detroit being a failure. The world's used to Detroit being uh, on the death rate of murder's capital. And it's used to its failed system. They're used to that. But something strange is going to happen. It's going to burn with revival. It's going to burn. Our communities are going to be revived and burned with the power of God. It's going to be unusual and strange. Why that city? Because God wants everybody to turn their heads and see a sign from heaven that something's happening. The bush is already burning. Moses turned to see what it was. It's the angel of the Lord. In, in, in theology, um, it's called a theophany. A theophany. Because the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord is Christ himself, an appearance of Christ before he was incarnate in the flesh. How do we know this? Because the angel spoke out of the bush and spoke as God himself. An angel can't speak in the first person for God. And this is the word of God come as fire. It is a theophany. It is Christ himself in that burst, a bush, a manifestation of Christ present to Moses. And what he says to Moses is this. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. It's just like getting a phone call from God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm telling you the timing's on today. Amen. Now, I like this. God said, do not approach me. Do not come any closer till you deal with yourself. We want some revival going on, right? Or we want to go run to the revival. God says, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. You better get your act together. You better get yourself straight here. I have provided something for you. The blood of Jesus 
He said, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. I don't want any man-made things walking where I am. No flesh shall glory in my sight. You got designer sandals on. They're nice. They're pretty. Take them off. I don't want anything between you and me. The ground you're on, I have made holy. It's just dirt, not where God is. Where God is, the dirt becomes holy. Isn't it interesting? There was no floor in the tabernacle. There was no floor in the tabernacle. He provided all sorts of coverings, a number of different coverings, badger skin and woven things and tapestry and all sorts of things. He said even the little hangers that were made out of gold and all the things were all purposed, but there's no floor on the tabernacle. That's because wherever God is, it's holy ground. How many of you know Detroit's going to become holy ground? When I say Detroit, too, don't just think we're talking about the inner city. We are talking about the sub-urban things that connect us all together. This is one community, and we're all together. It's this region of what God wants to do. It's becoming holy ground, and I'm telling you, the bush is already burning. So we must deal with our sin. We must cry out to God. We must have a clean conscience. How are we going to preach deliverance from sin when we're still in it? How are we going to preach deliverance when we've got oppression of demonics on our backs? Come on, we've got to get this straight. And so he says, take off your sandals. Do not come any closer. Take your sandals off. The place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. I want you to understand something. Moses never heard from God till this point. He resisted the Egyptians. He knew his mom told him about the stories of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? When did he hear from God? He went by faith this whole time. He he knew that he was something of God. He came out of the waters. That's what his name meant. He was saved when he should have been killed. There was a destiny on his life. He rose up in the king's parlor, but he, he gave it up. For the sake of the Hebrews, because he remembered the stories his mother told him. She was his nursemaid. She cared for him. And he forsook Egypt for the God of Israel. Where's the God of Israel in all of his life? And, And when he went to rescue a Jew, they said, who made you our ruler and king? They rejected him. So he ran away, wandering, wandering, waiting, waiting. Do you know what must have went through his heart when he got the confirmation? I am the God of your fathers. All these years I knew, I knew that I was called. All these years I knew I had a purpose. And now he says, I am your God. We've been crying out how many years? God, do something in this area. God, Grow your church. Build your kingdom. We want to see righteousness reign and rule over our lives. We've been holding out, holding out, and we just need a confirmation for God to say, I am the God of your fathers. I've heard your cries and your prayers. Who doesn't long to hear that everything you've been interceding for is being heard on the throne of God? He falls on his face before the Lord. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. 
I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into the good and spacious land, flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians that are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What's interesting is about, this has been 400 years of captivity. And he said, I now hear the cries of my people. There was a timing in this thing, brothers and sisters, that we just don't get in the realm of God. 400 years. 400 years. You see, there was a timing. This wasn't just about Israel being released. It was also, it's not just about grace. It was also about justice. It was about God's judgment on the Amorites. In fact, he prophesied about this. You see, there was a timing here. He says, I have seen the way, and now the cry of the Israelites have reached me. Now? Now they've reached you? What about 400, how about 395 years ago? Hmm? Okay, give us 100 years. How about 300 years ago? You didn't hear the cries then? No, 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 because they didn't fill up what was necessary for the timing of God. We've got to trust God for his timing. There's something bigger than your issue in all that's going on in life. There is, a, there is something moving in, in the realm of God's authority and kingdom where he's going to do one thing for you, but that triggers and offsets a thousand other things in the earth as well. And so there's a timing and a purpose. I've just now heard, how old is America? 200 and some years, right? I'm talking 400 years here, people. Slaves for 400 years. Americans don't get that. We want it now, hot and ready. Now you've heard my prayers. Now, now you've heard, how many generations through 400 years? Now you've heard our prayers. God's faithful. God's faithful. Gives him a sign. He says it's time to reposition and repossess what is mine in the timing of the Lord. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, and I want to show you something. God had all this established, Genesis 15. Just as Moses was being incubated in Pharaoh's house, so Israel was being incubated. Genesis 15, we start at verse 13. God is talking to Abraham. Genesis 15 is an amazing, awesome chapter in the Bible, and it is the time when God makes covenant with Abraham and speaks through the corridor of time in that mysterious nighttime setting where the lamp of God walks through the sacrifice for Abraham because this is an eternal covenant that Abraham could not keep, could not own, but God gave it to him with an intercessor who was that intercessor that walked in the midst of that covenant animal cut in half. Again, Christ our mediator walked in there on behalf of Abraham and it was to his seed he made a covenant promise to his seed. And Paul tells us all the way down in the corridor of time who that seed is. It's Messiah Jesus, who allows you and I to, now to enter into that covenant made all the way back here. Come with me back to that night in Genesis 15. We're all a part of that. We were in the birth of that thing. 
And part of that covenant, God says this in Genesis 15. He says this in verse 13. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated. How many years? 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Did they? You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. See, this is more than just setting Israel free. God had to promote, um, um, declare judgment in the earth. Not only was he going to give the promised land to the Israelites, he was using Israel as his sovereign judgment against the Amorites. And an Amorite is a common name for all those Jebusites, Hebuzites, uh, Jacobites, uh, all those mosquito bites, all of them. They're all in there. And, and the judgment in that land, God was allowing man to run his government so long and when man runs government and when man has authority wickedness is always increasing and there's a boiling point where sin may abound and God says enough grace must now abound and he brings judgment we saw it with Sodom and Gomorrah we saw it with the whole earth in the time of Noah we're seeing it again here it is often overshadowed because we're so focused on Israel being delivered into a promised land, but what we're missing is God's judgment over sin. He said, I can't set you free yet because i got to deal with these people. And, and I would believe that God was, was dealing with them and that God was probably speaking to them, but they were ignoring him. And there's a time when God says enough is enough and the house of righteousness is going to move in where you occupied and I will set up my kingdom. In fact, that's the story of the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. This is the day when we are to enter into the land, evict the demonic host who has had its government and authority and call people into the kingdom of God. Now, that's what he said, it, it, it automatically, now look at what it did for Moses. This is what destiny, providence, prophetic does. It locks you in to the bigger picture. When you were wandering around wondering what, when, who, why, Moses got up and realized, I was called of God. I knew there was something in me that was right. And he is the God of my father, the true God. And there was something going on that God had purposed for the last 400 years. It was not for naught. It's not because we've been abandoned by God. God, in fact, had a purpose. And today, the bush is burning. Today, he's lighting a torch and saying, follow me. Let's go get him. And I really believe that's where we are prophetically, people. You don't have to believe that. You can be a critic. We have enough critics of that. There's critics everywhere. And, and you can decide what to do with that. For me, I'm sticking next to the burning bush. There'll be people all along the way, brothers and sisters, that are going to heckle you, they're going to jekyll you, and uh, they're going to Mr. Hyde on you. cartoons and movies you keep next to the burning bush 
look at if 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 I'm wrong and 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 God is not going to move in Detroit but I have been seeking God interceding for God on fire for God trying to win the loss for God did I lose no so let's just stick next to the burning bush but I'm telling you uh, this is a move of God Amos prophesied to Israel and said I destroyed the Amorite before them though he was tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks I destroyed his fruit above and his roots below what God said to Israel is go possess the land it's time for you to take the vengeance and the authority and judgment of God into that land you have a purpose not only is it your land but I want you to execute the righteousness of God for all nations to fear and tremble that God is the God of Israel that would bring all nations into a to, to uh, bow before the God of Israel when they sent the spies were they ready to do it no they got scared because they were big the Amorites and the Canaanites were big we're just grasshoppers in the sight of these giants but what did God say I know they're big but this one's on me I got this you still have to fight but I've got this and I love what uh, brother Lou Engel said last night in order for us to overcome the crime rate in Detroit, the, the, the economic devastation in Detroit, and in our economy around here, then God's got to do something greater than that. Do you understand what we're serving here? We're serving a power greater than what has been destroying our cities. And if you're not believing for that, if you're believing that that's bigger than our God, then you fill in the blank. But don't talk to me about it, because I don't believe that. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? God's going to do this thing. Amen? He said, I'm going to take off their fruit from above. He's going to stop the fruit of wickedness, the fruit of the flesh. He's going to dry that up, and he's going to cut it off at the roots, because he's got another tree that he wants to plant there. And this tree and its leaves, there are healing day and night. Every month it's exchanged with the fruits of righteousness. In this tree, the river of life waters it, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to be fighting this fight against an enemy, against an enemy, till the day that we're able to present the nations, the tribes, the ethnos to God as Christ returns. That's the picture. So let's get in the fight. Now, he said, we have to wait, Moses. Israel had to get ripened for their time. The Amorites had to ripen their fruit of the flesh. And Moses, you're part of this too. I needed you to ripen up a little bit as well. And that goes for everyone in this house this morning. We all have to get ripened for this move of God. I believe that the city of Detroit is ripe for a change. Amen? Would you agree to that? Now, there's two questions Moses asked to this burning bush. The first question he asks, you find in Exodus 3, verse 12, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Isn't that, that's a good question. Who's Christ Community Church? 
Why should I use you to change Roseville, East Point, and the city of Detroit? Who are we? Who's Moses? And the answer is what is astounding, brothers and sisters. God doesn't tell him who he is. He says who, he, who God is. He says, I'm with you. That's who you are. <laughs> How many of you like that? Amen? How is it that the demons knew Paul, knew Peter, knew Jesus? Peter, I know. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. He said to the son, seven sons of Sceva, who are you? They had no authority to cast out demons because they were not in Christ Jesus. You, because of the blood of Jesus, are sealed by the Spirit of God. You have Christ's own Spirit within you, dwelling in you. I'm with you. Moses said, who am I? God said, I'm with you, boy. That's who you are. I'm with you. I'll be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now this cracks me up. This is actually very humorous, I think. Because Moses says, who am I to do this? He says, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to give you a sign that, I, that I'm calling you to be the deliverer. When you go get them, deliver them out of Egypt, and bring them right back to this bush, then you'll know that I called you. Is anybody getting this? How about a little upfront stuff? Right? You know, because you know what that takes? Faith. Now, let alone already, dude, you're talking to a bush that's burning, that's not burning, and the voice of God is in front of you, okay? You need more. Yeah, yeah, uh, what are, yeah, okay, good. Stick your hand in your shirt, pull it out, see, okay? It's, all right, hold up your stick, see, okay, I'm going to use it. I mean, he's, he's patient with us. He condescends to our ignorance and our, you know, thank God. But I just, I just think this is hilarious that he would say, I'm, I'm going to give you a sign, and this is your sign. Go to the Pharaoh, argue with him, call out all these plagues, get these people out of there, have them come all the way back to this mountain, and then you'll know that I'm the one who called you. That's, that's great. How many of you feel your Christian walk has been like that? In the end, you'll see Jesus and say, okay, I was good all along. But what if you really did believe and understood, I am called? Now, he said, I'll be with you. This is no different than the great commission Jesus made. He said, go out into all the earth, making disciples, teaching all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey what I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you till the end of the age. I am with you always. I'm with you. Moses, I'm with you. Folks, God is with you. Church, God is with you. Christ's community, God is with us. Churches of Southeast Macomb, God is with us. Southeast Michigan, God is with us. The bush is burning, brothers and sisters. Do you understand you're called for this moment? This is your destiny. This is our hour. This is our opportunity. There is a stirring because the bush is burning. The Spirit is speaking into this region. How many signs do you need? 
Is it not already unusual that we have up to 500 churches cooperating in an evangelistic outreach? That's a burning bush. And it's amazing to hear what God is doing. Second thing is he said this. He said, I want you to take them. Now, he shows a hope and a future. He says, I want you to go back. You're going to get these people out of there, and you're going to return them to me. What does that speak of? This is a done deal, right? Now, wouldn't it make the same sense that when Jesus said, I want you to go into all nations, teaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and commanding them to obey me, what is the expectation of Jesus? That we'll go into all nations and we will save those people and all nations will come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who will. Isn't that his expectation? Why don't we have that expectation? Isn't it his expectation that you would go back to your household, you would begin preaching and proclaiming, you would speak to your boss, you would speak to your employers, we would speak to our territory that we own and we would declare the gospel and people would get saved. Isn't that the expectation? Now the other expectation is you get them and you bring them here to Mount Horeb. But Mount Horeb's not in the promised land. So what does that also tell him? There's more to come. This is phase one. Oh, praise God. See what I'm saying? You don't know what I'm saying. You think each is the end? You, you think 2011 and what's going to happen in this year is the end of what's going to transform this city? No. You think that that's phase one. Phase one is what we're in. You've got to get ready for phase one. We've got to get energized for phase one. But I want you to know phase two is on its way. It's coming. And woo, look out for phase three. Now I know I'm going long, but so what? Now, this is my favorite part of this thing. What, it, what, what is stirring in my spirit is Moses was on Mount Sinai in front of a burning bush. And he said, this is where I want you to bring them. The leader was already there. Uh, it echoes in my ears. It reminds me, I remember Martin Luther King's speech. I was to the mountaintop and I've seen this land. I saw a time when children will not regard race. I see a time where the white man, black man will live together. I see, see he had been there prophetically. He saw what God wanted him to see. Moses had to put up with everything those people put up with at all the arguments because he saw a burning bush. He knew where he had to get to. When they were wandering, he knew he had to get there. They didn't start wandering till he already finished phase one and got the law. That's when they were rebellious. They didn't do phase two. Lord forbid that we would not complete phase two. Job's not done. Don't rest too long after phase one is complete. But what I love about that is he showed him the place where he must return. And when he went back to speak to Pharaoh, and he's talking to Pharaoh, and how does he compete with the, with the machine of Egypt, with its chariots and its warriors? Remember, his people were just the slave class. How does he talk to the 
Pharaoh of Egypt with any sense of boldness and power because he's still burning from the sunburn of a burning bush he was in the midst of. When he's talking to Pharaoh, he's looking past Pharaoh and remembering a burning bush, the presence of God. We as a people have got to have a burning in our hearts. We've got to have the unction and the understanding of what is to come if we're going to stand up against mobs, if we're going to stand up against Islam, if we're going to stand up against those who hate us and those who laugh at us and those who say, get out of here. you got to have a burning bush in you experience so that you'll stand no matter what the opposition is. Moses got to see it. That's why he could bring him to that place. Can you see in the spirit what God wants to do? Can you see for your children? Can you see past yourself, brothers and sisters, what the church has been doing has been looking into the mirror, not looking into the burning bush of God. We've been looking at ourselves too long. We've been looking at what we need to do for me and how we need to be healed and how we need to get set free and how we need to do this. We've not been looking into the flaming eyes of Jesus Christ. We're bringing people not to church, but to Jesus. Can anybody feel the heat? Now, the second question he asks. They will ask me what your name is, what God you are. Why are they going to ask that? Oh, I thought these were God's chosen people. They spent 400 years, brothers and sisters, in bondage with idols all around them. So many gods in the hundreds in Egypt. They knew the same gods. You remember what Aaron had to do? Build a golden calf to calm them down and comfort them because they used to worship at golden calves. They, they knew that they were something with Abraham, but it got all murky and clouded. You know, the people we have out here, they say, yeah, we're Christians. They say, yeah, we believe in Jesus. You've got Mormons. You've got Jehovah Witnesses. You've got Muslim. You've got this. You've got that. Everybody loves Jesus. He's a prophet. He's a good man. He's this. You can talk about God, and everybody loves God. Moses said, I gotta have a name here. I gotta have something that identifies you separate from everyone else. And that's where I love the Tetragrammaton, the Yahweh of God, which stands for I am, that I am. Hallelujah. I am God. In other words, all those other things that say they're God, I laugh. They're not. They're statues, they're idols. You tell him, the God of all gods, I am that I am. I'm greater than creation. I'm greater than the universe. I'm greater than time itself. That's who's talking to you. Do you believe you serve a God like that? How small is your God? How big is your God? You're going to find out when you face other gods. You're going to find out. Your confidence in God is going to be tested against the other gods. Can you walk down into the cities? Can you walk into the streets? What if I might get hurt? Those days are over, man. I don't know if you remember, but when you got saved, you said, Jesus, take my life, all of it. I surrender at the cross. 
You no longer have rights, brothers and uh, uh, sisters. You belong to Jesus. Uh, Now, I'm I'm getting radical on you. It's called the Bible. If, if, If God says go down to Detroit and you don't have a guarantee as to whether you're coming back, you say that's fine with me. I give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to serve him at your convenience, at your time, and in your way. We are not going to face other gods with that attitude. You've got to have a burning bush in your face to have that kind of an attitude, and I'm serious about that. Secondly, he doesn't depend on any other source. I am that I am. You don't have to plug me in. My batteries won't die. You don't have to feed me. I don't need your money. I don't need your praise. I don't need anything from you. I am. I'm giving you the opportunity to be with me. And I'll show you who you are if you come close to me. He's ever-present. He is unchanging. I am that I am. And that tells me, brothers and sisters, that the burning bush that Moses confronted is the same burning fire that we have within our bosom of the Holy Spirit. The same experience Moses had is an experience I can have, but in fact, I know more than Moses. How would you dare say that? Because I've got God in me. Now it's up to us to access all that and unzip this file that has been put in us. And so what I say to you this morning, I'll close because I went way over and we have more things to do. But I, I feel this message is important. Brothers and sisters, you need to have a bush burning inside of you. I believe the bush is already burning in this community. I believe that there are so many opportunities before us today that we need to let this bush burn. Now, I'm going to link this together very quickly for you, uh, uh, attaching it to the prophetic significance of Detroit. If you'll look at the city seal of Detroit, you'll see these two women The Detroit City Seal, Detroit officially became a city in 1802. It was authorized to make now a city seal in 1802. What happened, though, in 1805, the entire city of Detroit burned down by fire. And it wasn't until 1827 until they came up with a design for the city seal. And in that design, you will see on this side a woman who is weeping because the city of Detroit is on fire and burning down. The city of Detroit has been burning for a while, hasn't it? How many of you remember the 67 riots? And there's been a fire and it's been burning. But this woman over here is happy and speaking of prosperity and blessing. And this Latin right here, Spiramos Meliora Resurrecte Cinemaribus. I made that up. I don't speak Latin. Let me translate. We hope for better things. It shall rise from the ashes. That is the word over Detroit. Now, if that's not a prophetic hope for the city and for us as a community, we hope for better things, don't we? And out of the ashes, it will rise. God is going to redeem this city. Now, that city seal is over our city. Secondly, uh, the artist Marshall Frederick was commissioned to do this sculpture. He decided to do it with this context. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
That has now been called the spirit of Detroit. You, you get the prophetic thing? Now, now what uh, Marshall Fredericks decided to do was, he said, this is Detroit. This represents God, and this represents family. And so the spirit of Detroit is that the Spirit of the Lord is going to bring liberty because God and family are what need to rule this city. And it will rise from the ashes and better things are coming. When you put that together, this seal is right behind the Spirit of Detroit combining together this prophetic unction where on March 16th we are marching down to that place we are calling on the name of God and we are going to be marching back to Comerica Park and what we will be praying is that we hope for better things it's going to rise from the ashes the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom there is liberty there is freedom amen I pray this bush burns in you deeply let's bow our heads hallelujah Oh, glory to God. Glory to God.